Holy Madness is brought to you by JewishCoffeeHouse.com Ich verstehe nicht. This podcast turned the river to blood, filled my oven with frogs, and beset the land with darkness. Without Holy Madness, I would not be stuck in a chariot at the bottom of the Reed Sea. I'm not sure why Pharaoh is Chinese, but whatever. It's Holy Madness! With me and Mayor Simcha! Welcome to The Holy Madness, episode 14. It's the beginning of the Passover Pesach episode Bonanza Extravaganza. The funny thing is, hmm. first of all, I think we'll get great listener stats for these few episodes we're going to do on Pesach because I've, in my informal research, I've learned that most people tend to like listening to their podcasts while they're doing their household chores. And there's and a now good there's a, amount of household choring going on. Exactly. Yes. So uh, we look forward to smashing our listenership records and best of luck inevitably finding some pretzels in the middle <laughs> of the theater. It's the soup nuts. The little the yellow, yellow guys. soup yeah. nuts that get stuck under the fridge. And, and you can't just rely on your you know, leaven stuff going bad after a month with that stuff because it's born stale. Well, it's supposed to be that way. It, it'll also survive like a nuclear fallout. <laughs> that, that stuff is pretty, pretty hardy stuff. Anyway, the truth is though, mm. Pesach Passover is is pretty fundamental as far as the Jewish religion goes. Firstly, it is one of the things that everyone, more or less, does. Yeah, everyone. And anyone that that considers themselves remotely Jewish does a Seder, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. It's one of the few universal uh, Jewish things. And and the funny thing is, perhaps why it's so universal is the Torah goes out of its way to base all of being Jewish on the events that we're commemorating. The definition. People really feel it with Pesach. The definition of being a Jew, I mean, look, God defines himself as the God who took you out of Egypt. Amazing thing. It's not. Right. You know, it's not, I'm the I one created, who created the world. The universe. And it's not, I'm the God that, you know, lets you it's, breathe or runs the world or controls the Fed. Or tells you truth or anything like oh, that. Oh, come on. That was an anti Semite joke right oh, there. Oh, sorry, sorry. You, Damn. Right through your fingers. Uh, You're going to be in trouble next time the elders meet. <laughs> You're gonna spank me again. Sorry. What? <laughs> They've never spanked you. Do you know how much pro- how many problems we will have if some stormfront guy winds up with the recording of us? Are you saying that we should only marry the elders it. spanked <laughs> me? <laughs> right, but but he 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 go Anochi Hashem Elokecha Shehotzeticha Meeretz Mitzrayim. And everything we do is always Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim. Yeah. So when we make Kiddush on Friday night, mm-hmm. we're right. This Kiddush is because God rested on the seventh day and it is a reminder that he took us out of Egypt. Right. It's an amazing juxtaposition in Kiddush because first you say that this is a Zikaron, a remembrance of creation, creation. which makes sense, right? right? Because the process of creation culminates with Shabbat, right? Mm-hmm. And you're making Kiddush for Shabbat. And then right after that, you take it to this historical level. It's a remembrance of going out of Egypt. What? Because we got a break from being slaves? Like it doesn't, doesn't it seem almost, right at all. Right. It almost right. Seems, it seems incongruent. Just to bring out how fully weird this is, all the laws of Kiddush are in the Tractate of Talmud of Pesach. So, right. But it's not only Kiddush. I mean, pretty much half the mitzvot that we have, half the commandments are predicated on because you were taken out of Egypt. Hmm. I mean, even as far down as what today gets distilled into the, you know, godless liberal Judaism of uh, Tikkun Olam, right? Be nice to other people. So, so they're all out there protesting for free immigration, right? And why hmm. the the why should we open our borders? 
because you remember atem zochrim sheitem gerim be'eretz mitzrayim. You guys were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like, and you shouldn't treat other people that way. Right. If anybody was wondering why Jews are so suckered in by leftism today, this is why. There's a fear that, you know, if we don't defend this, then we'll then wind left. up slaves in Egypt again. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I don't know if anybody would really verbalize it as we're worried about going back to Egypt, per se. But people, yeah, certainly, that's the... people certainly did when I was a child. So, so this is something which is perhaps the most fundamental aspect of what it means to be a Jew. There's another way that this is really fundamental in terms of our experience, and it's the very fact of experience. Experience has to unfold in time, right. and this is the start of the Jewish calendar. Remarkably, Rosh Hashanah, the quote-unquote Jewish New Year, is in, is the, in the seventh, seventh month. month, whereas the first month is the month of Passover. Passover falls in the middle of the month, but it's in connection with Passover, with in connection to the exodus from Egypt, that the calendar is defined. Well, it, that's literally the first commandment. I want to this do... month, HaChodesh Lechem Rosh Chadashim. This month is... The first of months. To the extent that people even ask, well, why doesn't the Torah start here? Why do you start mm-hmm. always all the way back this in This is Genesis? the first commandment. Yep. This is where we should start. Right. At any rate, this is where we'll start. Yalla. So, I think it would be uh, it would behoove us to do a really quick overview of the book of Exodus. The I history. See. But there's one episode... In Sefer Bereshit, in Genesis, that we have to talk about first. And that's Brit Beta Batarin. So, in English, that would be the covenant between the pieces, or the covenant between the parts, that Abraham, Abraham establishes with God back in Genesis chapter 15, if you're following in the Christian chapters. God has made a promise to Abraham that sounds crazy. He says, your children are going to inherit the land, not just I'm going to give them some gift. They're going to inherit it. And Abraham comes back to God and he says, how on earth can you guarantee that they would inherit it, that this land would have something to do with them? If you tell me you're going to give it a, a gift to my kids because you like me, like, OK, I get it. Thank you very much. But if you're telling me that it's really theirs, then you must be telling me that they, they somehow merit it, that they have some deep connection to it. But how can you guarantee such a thing? Well, there's more than that also, because at this point, he doesn't have kids. Right, he doesn't have any kids, yes. And But what he does have is this massive group of followers mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he's kind of, I guess, converted or convinced to follow the one true God. And up until this point, his concept of his mission and what he's doing... Is philosophical, you might is say. Is to go out into the rest of the mm-hmm. world and teach. Mm-hmm. And now God's telling him that what his actual mission is, is he's going to become a nation. And that's kind of what informs the question that you're raising, which is like, what on earth does this have to do with biology, like genetics? Right. If biology, you tell me that my students are going to have a special place where they can live where and set they up things, a, a commune, an right. idealistic community, then okay, great, I get it. Because, you know, we, we really care about you. But you're turning this, this into a birthright. Yeah. What, is, what uh, on earth is that? What if my kids are buttheads? Right. <laughs> what if my kids aren't interested in philosophy? What if my kids worship idols? Right. <laughs> like, okay, good. Yeah, that's the go, bad go, one go, for him, right? Go, go read the prophets, right? Yeah. Guess what happened? And then God's answer is even more on the surface, even more ridiculous, because what he says is... It seems like a total non sequitur. Like, well, I can guarantee that this is going to work because they're going to be slaves in a land that's... Not theirs. Not theirs. They're going to be strangers in a strange land for 400 years. Right. Oh, okay, well, that, great. Now, well, now, now, now I understand, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do you think Abraham did understand that? I'm not sure. I mean, like, the, the sarcastic, you know, you know, yeshiva boy in me... <laughs> it's like, you know, like you hear an answer like that and you're like, no more questions. <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? Wait, wait, wait. But I don't understand. Okay, now I'm going to force all of them to sell their kidneys in the flea market to afford 
you know, uh, gruel to eat. <laughs> like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. No, no more questions. Let's stop right there. Exactly. Okay, I don't want this to get um, any worse. But, 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 you know, but they, I mean, sarcasm you, aside. Sarcasm aside, you could imagine I, that he would get it. That he would say, ah, okay, so they're going to, on the level of a people, relive the kind of confusion and slavery and being stuck that I lived in my youth in Orkastim. Well, I would say it's different. Okay. He's being told that there's... Look, today... This is amazing, by the way, because up until, I would say, three, three four years ago, mm-hmm. nobody would know what these words mean. And now they're just so part of the common vernacular. People talk about, you know, oh, those, you're on the wrong side of history. Like, uh, when did history have sides? And if and if you're on any side of I'm history, if you but if you're on any side of history, yeah. then you're part of history. So like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Oh, Hitler was on the wrong side of history. No, he's just in it. <laughs> but but anyway, but but one of the other ones they taught was the arc of history. Mm. And what Abram's being told is, what you think? Oh, they'll just freely choose to to have nothing to do with this mission of yours. Mm-hmm. Well, I guarantee you. There's an arc to history that will keep bringing them back to it, hmm. whether they want to or not. Oh, I just realized something for the first time. Hmm. This is where Avraham finds out for the first time the depth of the genetic component in this. And he's also, because of what you were just saying, discovering what it means to be an Av, which means father in the language of the Torah, but it also means prototype, prototype or paradigm. He's discovering that he is the prototype or paradigm for what is now going to be with his children. Mm-hmm. He hasn't seen that before. That's an amazing thing. Yes. I, I would actually suggest these are not two different things. They're two sides of the same coin. Ah, go on. The same way that Av means both a father and a prototype. Mm-hmm. So the way... Yeah, they must the, be connected somehow, right? Yeah, well, there's a, right, there's there's a reason they're yeah. the same word. And that reason is, the truth is, is because what you went through in your life, that shaped you into who you are is what you pass on to your children. That's that's true on a genetic level. That's true on a uh, call of beliefs. It's true in terms of uh, in terms of epigenetics. It's true on pretty much every plane or level. Mm-hmm. And so that's when he realizes that what he's experienced and the person that he's been turned into. That's what's going to be pressed forward. Not the ideas that came out of them, but the reality that is him. Hmm. If I can take a slightly personal diversion here, are you an Av for your kids? Am I an Av for my kids in that sense? Because I obviously we're genetic fathers, but I just feel so much discontinuity between my experience as growing up and their experience. Like, you know, you're growing up in Israel in a completely different environment how much of what yeah my dad grew up to two war survivors in yiddish but yeah. i still see but you grew up in that same brooklyn milieu no, and it wasn't the same uh... at all they had possibly less to do with each other than the way i live and the way my dad does do you recapitulate your father's struggles sure yeah just in i mean look you can see it as a development across the generations your personality is very similar to your parents. You know, oh yeah, this is this is like my dad and this is like my mom and then whatever, fine. I see it between myself and my parents. I don't know if my kids will see that between themselves and me. Of course they will. The same way your parents are saying the same thing you're saying now. Okay. <laughs> my father's in their 60s. Like, what do I have to do with these people who went to Siberia 25 years ago and are hoarding tuna cans in case we ever have to run away again? And then he got a little older and went, hmm, yeah, same... Same personality, different environment. So okay. it teases out the same challenges, but in, a in different ways. Situation. Right. Mm-hmm. So and then here, that moves generation mm-hmm. through generation. So here in the transition between Abraham and the people of Israel, it's not just that we're taking an individual structure and it's being worked out in a new situation. It's that there was an individual level and now there's a national level. I'm not saying it isn't also true on an individual level, but I'm saying that the the story now has shifted from the development of individuals to the development of a nation. Yes. Actually, it's amazing that you put it that way for anybody who's gone through 
Beratius or Genesis sees that that's actually the point where we stop talking about individuals and then we're, we, we kind of hyper-focus on this one little family, not meaning there's no heroes anymore. Except Moses. That's the different next book. From uh, before Avram, mm-hmm. actually before Avraham with a hey, mm-hmm. the first three parashiot, mm-hmm. the, the way we have it, yeah. I don't know the chapter numbers, the first three parashiot, you have heroes. There's there's Cain, and then there's you know this one, and each he's the guy that did this, he's the guy that did that, and then you have the Rifaim, these uh, however you understand them, giants or you know uh, doctors. Uh, <laughs> just kidding you know uh, the, the the fallen angels and then there's Noah and everybody's pointing at him going he's the Zeynach Hamenu this yeah. guy is he's, he's, he's the he's savior he's the guy he's the savior yeah and then that doesn't work and then you know you have Nimrod and you've got these kings mm-hmm. and you've got the but it, it's all it's this all is like the heroes. mythological archetypical right yeah and then there's Abraham who's not presented as a hero. Then you have Jewish anti-heroes. Right. And from that point on, it's no longer about heroes. It's about the development of a family into a tribe. And a tribe, at by the end of that book, is going to develop into a nation. Mm-hmm. So that's literally the, mm-hmm. the way you put it. It's literally what it is. Yeah, yeah. What was true and in terms of a search for freedom for an individual is now going to be the search for freedom for a nation, mm-hmm. and then that, this will take us straight into the book of Exodus, eventually becomes the search for freedom for humanity. So to summarize where we've been so far, what we're saying here is that the slavery in Egypt is not a problem that we need to get out of, but it's actually a solution for the development of this nation. It's going to enable the nation as a whole to achieve the, let's say, consciousness or relationship that Abraham has to reality. You know, we both know of another group of people, shall we say, that was also put into slavery and much marginalized. And, and it didn't work out beaten so well. Down, right. And, and they were given their freedom and didn't really work well they got their freedom in a pretty different way that's important this is how thermodynamics works it's path sensitive how you get from one state of the system to another state of the system really matters it's not just like okay slavery freedom and everything proceeds as if you know freedom is equal in all cases no it's not like that Ah, that's the end of the Brit Ben Abtarim. Now, that's the first time I understand why that at this Brit Ben Abtarim, at this covenant between the pieces, God doesn't end by saying, you know, as we were saying before, right? Oh, so what, what's his answer? You want to know how you're going to know? I'm going to tell you, you're going to know. Your, your kids are going to be slaves. And we're talking about the bending of the arc of history, but that's not the, la- that's not the last word. God continues by saying, and also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge, and afterwards they will come out mm-hmm. uh, with uh, a lot of treasure, with a great substance, according to this translation. But that's the point. Mm-hmm. It has to be that that's how it ends. If they would get their freedom by right. by right. Uh, 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 emancipation, emancipation then it wouldn't get you anywhere. Right, exactly. Ah, so that's what I was saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's the the covenant between the pieces, the Brit Ben Abtarim, and as we said, this is the shift from the individual to the tribal, which eventually becomes national, which eventually becomes global or human humanity, if you will, and and that brings us up to Abraham as a child. His child has two children. Uh, one is Isaac. Isaac has two sons. One is Jacob. Jacob has twelve sons and a daughter. And they wind up in Egypt, and now we are entering the book of Shemot. Right, which literally begins, and these are names of the people who came down to Egypt. In the language of the Torah, in in Hebrew, we don't call it exodus, which means going out. Right. From Greek, ex, you know, out, and hodos in Greek means road, uh, way, right? Um, But... In Hebrew, the name of the book is... Names. Names. <laughs> yeah. 
that's because, as I mentioned, uh, well, I shouldn't say that's because, but the simple explanation for that is because the second word of the book is names. Um, but it's also a book of identity. This is the book where the Jews grow into the Jews, mm -hmm. right? And as we mentioned earlier, the, the central piece of identity to the Jew is, is, is the Exodus. Mm -hmm. But that's the point. This is the book of your name. Who are you? Mm -hmm. What are you? Tell me what that means. But when the book opens up, we don't have a strong sense of identity. It seems like... Everything's anonymous. Everything's anonymous, and the names that we have are fake-out names, and were compared to insects. The few names. Just like the Nazis. Yes. It's the few names that you have. So it names the people who came down to Egypt that we know. This is actually a, a bit of a, a freeze-frame flashback because the last part of Genesis, everyone's already there. Mm -hmm. Jacob lives there a couple years, you know. Well, they're dead. Right. So, But it says, so. but it's in the present tense, oh, which yeah, is why amazing. this is a, a freeze-frame flashback. Now, these are the names of the people, Habaim, that are coming to Egypt. This is a beautiful thing in this Right. Story. Reuben, yeah. Shimon, Levi, Yehuda goes through all the names of the tribes, and then um, it, it counts them. You have 70, even though if you count them, you'll discover it's not... At 69, and that's the tradition that the granddaughter was born in between the gates and that of, would be of Egypt. Yochebet. Yes. Um, the mother then, of Moses. And then we say, and then Joseph died, which we, again, already read about. had already read about. And then Joseph died, which we read about. And then we say the children of Israel were fruitful, and they, you know, they had lots of kids, they increased abundantly. There's like five different terms for it. So it's like fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, waxed exceedingly mighty, okay, and the land was filled with them. So that's five. Um, you get the idea that there was a population explosion, right? Yes. Then there's a space mm -hmm. in the text, and this is where the actual story begins with a new king, and he doesn't remember Joseph and how he saved Egypt and, in fact, kind of created it. Um, in its modern form, Maybe the governmental form, and the, the pharaoh as the king of, of everybody and, and people owing their lives to the state and all Those that Those Jews stuff. control everything. Yeah, well, sometimes. You're the one who's getting hit by the elders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so he says, you know, listen, we have a, we have a, we have a huge problem here. We are, we are essentially, if not a minority, then soon to be a minority in this land. And all it takes is for these nice, peaceful people. Well, it's not a minority. You know, there could be... Hey, Egypt is the big empire. There are certainly competitors in the region. Mm -hmm. Any of them could come along and decide to attack us. And we have a fifth column here. A possible fifth column. A possible fifth column. They could right. easily decide, well, we'll throw our lot in with those invaders and then we'll become the new Mitzrayim. We'll mm -hmm. become the new Egyptians. We'll inherit this place. And so we got to get rid of them. But we have to do this wisely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, you can tell that if this was a movie, it'd be somebody with a little pointy triangular goatee right around there with like a, a wispy uh, curled uh, handlebar mustache. Probably a grand vizier. Right. And yeah. he'd be like stroking that little pointy goatee yeah. going, but we need to do this wisely. <laughs> anyway, so what do they do? They turn them into slaves. Simple enough. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? So it's interesting because... If you pay attention to the Hebrew, mm -hmm. it never says that they really became slaves. Not not at first. It yeah, says... We, we have a sense of a process here. They were taxed. Mm -hmm. Mas is still the modern word. Mm -hmm. So so they were told. And again, this is what something that Joseph had set up. That because the state owned all the food for a decade, more or less, so everybody basically signed their lives over to the state. It was, a, it was a completely authoritarian, totalitarian state. We were discussing uh, last week mm -hmm. where Socrates was like, of course I'll die. The, the state needs it. This, yep. is, this was the way things were there. But there were some people who never wound up in that system because they weren't there yet at the time. Uh -huh. And that would be Joseph's family. The, the Jews, who are also, so as long as they remember who Joseph is and why these people... They were also in a different people, area geographically. They, yes. A distinct area. Yeah. 
So as long as they remember why these people are different and they earned it, I mean, this guy saved all our lives mm-hmm. and these are his uh, his people, fine. But now that they're, as, right, so now now the narrative kind of clicks, the, the details we've been given mm-hmm. click together. But here's a guy who doesn't. So if that's not what the, if, if, if he doesn't remember Joseph and he's not going to give any, these guys aren't special. This is a new Egypt. It's a dawn of a new era. And you guys need to contribute too. You need to contribute. Are you really Egyptians? Right. So you need to pay taxes. But you know how it is with taxes. You never get rid of them. Especially in in, in states like that, Mm -hmm. which are mainly extracting, Mm -hmm. extractory. Especially when you have to build those huge tombs for these pharaohs. They're not tombs, man. They're energy factories. Are you talking about the aliens who built the pyramids? Yeah, or? yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how, like, you know, you, they're, like, perfect and aligned with Atlantis. You can't see this because it's just audio, but Tzvi is wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> I should. <laughs> At first, they're just being uh, taxed. And through these taxes, right, it says uh, they built these store cities for, for Pharaoh, Pitom, and Ramses. Mm-hmm. Um, which can be understood as they built it. So let's say the tax was for a certain amount of time, your labor goes to the crown. Mm -hmm. So then they actually built it physically. Or the way you'd say that, uh, you know. taxes were extracted in order to to build this. So like, you know, this was built by. Mm -hmm. Fine. But of course, continuing on, uh, the more you, you afflicted them, the more they had more children. Uh, by the way, note to all Jew haters, anti-Semites, uh, Richard Spencer, Louis Farrakhan. Hey, shout out to Louis Farrakhan. The satanic Jews that control everything and mostly everybody. So the more the more you do this to Jews, the more, in Hebrew we say, afal mm-hmm. all the more so, they will become. We are a contrarian people. Yes. I mean, look, there were there were children born in concentration camps. That kind of says that's it all. Wild. Yeah, that yeah. says it all to me. Anyway, so now the Egyptians here, they say, all right, enough with the pretense. Now mm-hmm. you're going to work. Mm-hmm. We're no longer talking about taxes. We're talking about uh, essentially what you would what we would call today slavery. But again, in a state where everybody was already owned, they were simply just folded into the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. So from there, things continue to go downhill. Yeah. They start trying to kill all the, the males and then this and that and the other. And basically, for the next really long period, you have this uh, persecuted and oppressed minority. Mm-hmm. This may sound familiar to some people. Um, who's in desperate need of, of some kind of deliverance from essentially lives that are handed to them that are not theirs to live. I think that the salient point of that experience is really that this is a life where you feel estranged from life right like you your experience of life is this should not be like this is not how this is not why i am yeah the way i put it to my friends was that they were wage slaves that's all Mm -hmm. Uh, terry pratchett put it best only in man's dreams is he free the rest of the time, he needs wages. And that's it. it. It's no longer your life. So that's slavery. Yes. But now what is freedom? Ah. Oh. Okay, so we started talking about this in, strangely enough maybe, in our Purim episodes. That's not strange at all, because you and I both know the halacha is that one begins to talk about an upcoming holiday 30 days before. Ah. <laughs> yes. What we did there was we highlighted the difference between liberty and freedom. Yes. And pointed out how these are not really the same things. The point being You that do need one for the other and the other for the one. Right. But what most people today would say is to be free. And it's funny because it's kind of the way we describe slavery is a lack of liberty. You just you, Your life's not yours. You don't get to make... Choices or decisions or anything. Well, that could mean things on different levels. That's the point. Yes. It's both. So when we were saying liberty before, we were talking about license. Yes. You have options. Mm -hmm. You have uh, a million kinds of toothpaste that you can choose between. You can choose what kind of work you're going to do, where you're going to live, those sorts of things. 
Rashi calls this drawer. Liberty. Yeah. That's the word. In fact, the Liberty Bell is inscribed with the verse, Bitikrod drawer becholares. Yes. Which, incredibly, is about Yeovil. (laughs) The Jubilee. Those that understand why that's incredible, good for you. We're going to move on. So that's Liberty. Now, what's freedom? Freedom, as we were saying before in the Purim episodes, is about ultimately a capacity to self-define, to choose who you will become. Choices with actual consequences because they're definitive. Mm -hmm. So if you choose to become a doctor, this means you will not be a lawyer as a small example. You can't be everything. You can't become everything, I should say. In in modern culture, mm-hmm. there's this thing like we always tell our kids like you could become any, you can become anything you can become everything you you know you can become anything but you can't become everything every that's that, the point then you're, in then you're nothing yeah because all they wind up doing is just holding on to the potential to I could be you dissipate anything, among the options and but you wind up becoming yeah. nothing white noise right. So, so that's liberty and freedom in a, in, a, in a quick nutshell. And, of course, we will refer you back to that episode. Um, but over here, I think it would be a good, uh, good time to kind of step back for a moment and just show the narrative arc of how this develops over the course of, of, of the Exodus. Because, remember, where this all ends up is the entrance into the land of Israel. That's right. what's promised to Abraham back in that Brit Benap time that we mentioned. And this is just the development of how that comes to be. The ultimate freedom is, is defined, to borrow a, a verse from the prophets, uh, each man under his, his vine and fig tree. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a life that is totally yours, both in terms of choice and in terms of decision, in terms of you know the ability to, to be yourself. And to become yourself. To manifest your sense of what existence is about in concrete actions. Yes. To hammer home the distinction, by the way, we mentioned a moment ago as an example of another people that was taken out of slavery. But they were never made free. They were just given their liberty. Mm -hmm. And that was a disaster. Tremendously destructive. To everyone. Yeah. Do you know who understood that? In a way that was deep but twisted and ultimately evil, um, Fanon. He was from the Caribbean, and he wound up in the North African revolutions against the French. And he understood that the struggle for freedom had to be a struggle, that the people who were becoming free had to make that freedom or achieve that freedom for themselves. Um, of course, he painted that in extremely violent terms. So he saw redemption through violence. So violence becomes, becomes this redemptive force. And um, ultimately that Which, didn't work out so well. And this is something worth pointing out, that in, in the story of the Exodus, the vi- if whatever violence is there is always, one, a consequence to the Egyptians, and secondly, never carried out by... The Israelites, it's carried out by God. Yeah, it's an interesting And it's always done in consequence. So, and you even see let Moshe trying to go. avoid right. that violence right. in many cases. Because it's, no. not, it's not the violence it's not that's the point. the point. It's not the point. That's really where Fanon got really off the... Went off the rails. Really off the rails, yeah. yeah. So, we have... Brilliant the, guy. Amazing. It's always too. like that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's, the, a, he's a physician. Look, the sharper you are, the deeper it will cut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have here this point. There's liberty. There's freedom. It needs to be both. It has to be something which is developed. It can't be handed to you. And the slave is ultimately the one that learns what these things are, is why... The Passover story is so universal. We said a moment ago that this starts with Abraham as Mm -hmm. the individual. Mm -hmm. And it becomes the story of his descendants Mm -hmm. in their experiences, kind of reliving on a national level what he experienced on a personal level. And then that ultimately goes into humanity, where these things are, are part of the 
human definition. Yes, yes. You could look at the holiday of Passover and you could look at the story of the Torah and say, okay, this is the particular history of this one desert tribe. Right. And this is the holiday that they use to commemorate these Their historical particular events. story about how they became a nation. Yes. And good and, for them. And yet, that is not how people look at it. At all. At all. This becomes this universal story that speaks to people and becomes the paradigm for every nation becoming itself. Whether it's it's how the Americans saw themselves and traveling to their new their promised new, land, their, yeah. their almost chosen land, the almost chosen people. Everybody who was, you know, traveling the Underground Railroad was singing about Moses was coming to take him home. Right. Um, and, and, I mean, to me, you know what hammered this home for me mm-hmm. was watching during the Obama presidency, they'd always publish the pictures of the Obama Seder. Yeah. Now, granted, many of the people Obama, in that room were Jewish. Obama thought of himself as the first Jewish president. And in, in many ways, and we're not going to get into that, but in many ways he was, because this is this kind of narrative was really very much definitive of his worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's something tremendously universal about the way people see themselves. I mean, look, in, in philosophy, they have the throne condition. All of us on some level experience life as it was handed to us. And then we kind of go out and try to make it our own. So you look at being a teenager. You've had a few years. You kind of have a, a sense of, of who you are. It's very much instinctive. You know, uh, my, my seven-year-old daughter knows the foods she likes and doesn't like. And, you know, she knows. I mean, this is actually a very funny story. She she lost one of her teeth tonight. Yay! And it, it's, <laughs> been, yeah, it's been really loose for a long time. But she was terrified mm. because to pull it out is going to hurt. And uh, she was playing around with the the one and a half year old, mm-hmm. and the one and a half year old headbutted her by Oof. mistake, and knocked the tooth out to its absolute final thread, mm. and it was bleeding, and and she was she she was she was in pain. Yeah, and I I was trying to explain to her that you know it hurts because it's irritating your gum, and if you just take it out. It'll hurt for a second when you take it out, Mm -hmm. but then afterwards, it won't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. And I kept trying to explain this to her, and I said, just just let me pull it out. It'll take take five, literally, it'll take a fifth of a second, just out. And and eventually, through this conversation, it took 40 minutes until she she accepted that. Mm -hmm. And then, so she's like, okay. So I said, okay. So open your mouth. And, and, you know, uh, you know, get your hands off your mouth so I can, I can pull it out. And, and she kept saying, I, I'm afraid. I know I want to take it out. I want to do it, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't know why that's the case, but she knows enough of her own experience to be able to essentially say, I'm a coward. <laughs> she, she made her choice, and she's having a hard and time executing. And she can't executing. make it happen, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, when <laughs> she does life. turn, that but that's my point. Yeah. So when you become a teenager, you're aware of of who you are in mm-hmm. the sense of you know the the boundaries of self, but they're fuzzy because you can try new things and you can start to define yourself. Maybe that's who I'll become. Maybe right. That's who I'll become. And what's amazing is, and the reason I, I bring this up is, is in in the prophets, where and this is in the Haggadah, and we'll get to that in in when we go through the Haggadah. We need to we're described the text, right? we're described as teenagers at this ah, junction in time, mm-hmm, yeah. Because in this development from individual to tribe to nation to species, mm-hmm. this is the teenage period. Yeah. And so to finish the story, eventually, she pulled it out herself. That's awesome. Which was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because finally she 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 faced it down and she said, Okay, I'm I'm gonna do this. And ultimately, you know, in, in the the metaphor that I'm using this as, mm-hmm. this is what, what happens. The Jews grow into themselves enough that it's time to go. So so this is a kind of overview of the themes of Pesa, mm-hmm. of Passover. I think I'd like to also go through some of the imagery. 
So we've gone through the basic themes. Mm -hmm. We have slavery, we have freedom, we have growth into self, mm -hmm. we have being and becoming, this adolescent period, this development of humans from he-men heroes into the species as a whole, mm -hmm. fine. We should note that that adolescent period, the same way that human adolescence is about sexual maturity and coming into the possibilities of real connection, that's where this is going too. This isn't just now everybody can have their you know, 40 acre lot in the promised land. This is your well, yes, chance to. The next stop is This is your Sinai. chance to become the Merkaba for the Shekhinah and to you know, be a lover of God. But, well, I would I would put that in, in slightly starker terms. That becomes what freedom really is. Yes. You're not free if you are a, let's say, slave to your passions. You're not free mm -hmm. if you are making choices that are based on hormones. You know, I realized that when I was a teenager. I realized that when I was about 15, 16 years old. And I made a terrible mistake. I thought, okay. I'm not going to be a slave to passions and emotions. And therefore, I am going to cut out the ones that I don't like. Yeah, that never ends well. <laughs> that did not end well at that all. That never ends yeah. well. That's also not the way the Torah sees it at all. Mm -hmm. So so the imagery of Pesach, just to touch on some of them, and, mm -hmm. and I want to do this in a way to point out both the particular and the universal. Okay. Because that's, mm -hmm. that's the lens that we've taken here. Mm -hmm. So the name... Pesach, and the English one, the, the, the way we translate in English, which is Passover, mm -hmm. we do this every year, by the way. Well, we try to do it every year because we're not always home for Pesach, but Pesach was, the Jews were told, you're going to slaughter this uh, Karban Pesach, the, the sacrifice of, of, of Passover. the Passover, and what is the passing over is when God goes on the plague of the firstborn. Down into Egypt. Right. So he says, listen, when destructive forces are released into the world, they don't differentiate. So you need to put a physical sign. You need to make the differentiation. Yourself. Wow. So that differentiation is... self-definition. Self-definition. Right. So that becomes the moment of freedom. Which, by the way, is that, that in terms of the history, that's the night we do the Seder. Mm-hmm. Which it's is not also, the exodus. Yes, it's before the exodus. It's the moment mm -hmm. where that relationship is created, and it's created through self-definition. So interestingly enough, right, the Midrash has Pharaoh going down to, to Moses saying, okay, get, get out, out of here. No. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, it's the middle of the night. What, we're going to leave like a bunch of thieves? Are we really not going to do this properly? Every Jewish... Uh, certainly in the Orthodox world, but I'm sure this is already out of it. They have the song. <laughs> so he goes, he, he sees what's going on. He was told this is going to happen. He sees it start to happen and he wants to save his own skin. So he goes running into the Jewish quarter like, where's Moses? Where's Moses? And he's like, get out. Right now, it's over. Just, just go, hmm. right? I mean, after all, you've uh, God has waged this wild war yeah. <laughs> on the Egyptian state. By the way, the Gemara goes through the, the hmm. Talmud goes through how if you're going to wage war, these are the steps. Oh yeah, yeah. So it starts with the water system. Ah, wow. Then you're going to get into psychological damage, mm -hmm. which was the frogs. One morning when Paro awoke in his bed, there were frogs in his bed and frogs on his head. Frogs on his nose and frogs on his toes. Frogs here, frogs there. Frogs were jumping everywhere. To go back to the, the child, you know, the, the, the children's songs. That was in our intro. No, yeah. intro's Creeping Death. That's Marcus Bacoros. No, oh, the frog's filling up my oven. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, that intro, sorry. So you're talking the musical intro. Um, so, and then you're going to want to ratchet that up a bit. So that's lice. Now people are physically uncomfortable. Hmm. Not just the, the, the psychological discomfort. Now they're physically uh, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Next, you go after the food supply. No, sorry. Then you go for terror. So you have wild animals running everywhere. Everybody's, mm -hmm. you know, locked in their homes. They're afraid. This breaks down 
uh, all semblance of the day-to-day life, mm-hmm. including the economy. You can't be out working your fields. So this plague, Arov, which is commonly described as wild animals running everywhere, uh, isn't necessarily that. There are actually several different descriptions in the rabbinical literature. The word Arov means mixing. The point is that the, it was otherworldly. The fundamental right. borders of like your species and other species, things are breaking down. The order of the world is breaking down. Yeah, which that's, which that's ratchets terror. up the terror. terror. Right. Then there's a plague. So all the animals are gone. Again, that hits the economy. And that also hits the food, food supply. supply. It goes through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go through the whole thing. And then it ends up with decimation. <laughs> and, and that's where Paro uh, gives in. So, but to go back for a second, yeah, just, the imagery that we were discussing is blood on the doorposts. This is where I started. So each mm-hmm. year we take red construction paper. Oh, yeah? And we paint the same, uh, it's a, like the letter uh, chet or hey, whatever, mm-hmm. on the doorposts mm-hmm. with, with this red construction paper. So the kids have this, you know, they see it being done. We're mm-hmm. doing it. So that, that's this imagery, this literal, you know, marking yourself defining mm-hmm. yourself which creates freedom i think by the way that all of that is birth imagery oh it definitely is the, the, the door blood. and the blood right you're talking about the birth canal and then we get that later with the passage through the reed sea yes that again it's it's birth the water breaks <laughs> yes well the that's another one of the the images i wanted to highlight as well not just in terms of the uh, poetic part of the imagery, but the mm-hmm. actual image of passing through the impassable. Mm-hmm. Because, by the way, the reed sea in Hebrew is yam suf, but suf are reeds, but suf is also the word sof, which means an end. Or threshold. Threshold is what held the straw thresh- floor mm. in your home mm. without getting it blown out ah, the wow. doorway. Beautiful. Um, and these reeds are the thresh that was the floor. So it's the same word because it's the same thing. But the, the finitude, sof means an end. Mm-hmm. So this is the breaking of a boundary. That's, it's, it's, it's miraculous. Mm-hmm. But everybody, anybody. Well, that's the nature of freedom, isn't it? Ultimately, yes. Yeah. Because you break the given boundaries in order to define yourself. Right. And ultimately, it's done in this way where you, you, you're saved from certain doom because, you know, the way, the way it's described, you know, they're, they're, they're camped and they've got the army to their backs and they've got the water uh, to, to their faces and they've got this uh, impassable desert on one side and this yeah. mountain range on the other. Impossible There's nowhere situation. to go. There's nowhere Impossible to go. Situation. It's, it's, it's over. This yeah. is the end. That's it. And then that becomes the new beginning. I, I love that in that moment, people are ready to start crying out to God, do something for us. And his answer is, what do you mean? Why are you talking to... Start walking. Because... I can't give you freedom here. You guys have to do this you, for you, yourselves. And, and what I find amazing is he doesn't say go into the water. He says start traveling. They could mm-hmm. have picked... Pick a direction. Yeah. So how do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. You want to go through a desert? Fine. You want to climb the mountain? Fine. You want to go to war? Fine. Mm-hmm. You decide. That's yeah. what freedom is. Yeah. What's amazing is, and not everybody who keeps the holiday realizes this, is uh, Passover, like Sukkot, is a week long. But the, there are only two, it's bookended by actual holidays. In the mm-hmm. middle, we call Chol HaMoed, Chol Moed, which literally means the the plain part of the, the holy and we don't keep the same restrictions that we do on uh, in terms of work and in terms of uh, um, forbidden actions. So on a holiday like the first day of Passover or Sukkot, um, we observe it. Similar to the Sabbath. It's very similar to the Sabbath. Fine. So the seventh day is the day they cross the Sea of Reeds. It becomes an actual holiday. Right. And it's yeah. we're actually mm-hmm. celebrating something, and this is what we're celebrating. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. In the ascetic world, they have the tradition that the seventh night of Passover, people stay up until midnight, which is when we cross the sea. Hmm. Bet you didn't know that. This was at night. Because in the Psukim, it seems to be in the morning. Right. It's not. It started at midnight. By the time they finished crossing, ah, it was daybreak, and that's when they could see. They said, turn around and look. See? The Egyptians drowned. Wow. Well, why didn't you see before? Well, it was dark. <laughs> no, I mean it. 
I hear. So, so they have the custom to stay up till midnight. Chatzot HaLayla is when this takes place. Mm-hmm. And then they sing Shirat HaYam because that's when it's happening. So they, they, again, the whole point of Pesach being experiential. Shirat HaYam is the song of the, the sea. The song of the sea in Exodus. Exodus you'll, you'll right after it. we cross the yeah. sea. So, so I have to tell you a they story experience about it. Hmm. I used to daven regularly by Erloy, the Erloy mm-hmm. yeshiva yeah, yeah. in the German colony. And in the mornings, every morning, everybody would stand up for Shirat HaYam, which everybody says in the morning, mm-hmm. but not like this. The hundreds of kids in the yeshiva, everybody stands up and the leader of the prayers says a, a verse and then everybody repeats the verse. And they go through the whole wow. song of the sea that way. Do you know why they do that? The previous Rebbe's, that's all. After the Six-Day War said, we had a geula here. We had a redemption here. Redemption requires shira, requires singing. This is a very fundamental thing in, in, Jewish, thought. in Jewish thought. And rather than institute something totally new, he said, let's just do what we're supposed to do the right way. Right. Let's really do it. And so ever since the Six-Day War, that's how Erloy, and these guys are black and white. Yeah. They look like Hasidim. They aren't, actually. But they are sort of lumped together with this anti-Zionist, ultra-Orthodox world. And yet here they are singing the Song of Redemption about, about the Six-Day the, yeah, War. Yeah, wow, wow. Um, it's an amazing community. Yeah, Very special that, that's incredible. Yeah. There's one last thing I would bring out, that language is fundamental for the holiday of Pesach. Even the name Pesach is understood in a punny manner by the rabbis as Pesach, a speaking mouth. It's not just the passing over of uh, God as destructive force in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. It's also the capacity to articulate or to speak out. Well, I'll put that in in a, a bit stronger terms. Yes. It's that to define, you need to distinguish. Mm-hmm. And to distinguish, you need language. Because you need to have different words for these minute differences. So the way I like to put it, you know, we have, let's say, when you talk to a child, say, I'm mad. I'm mad. That's the word they know. Mm-hmm. But you and I would know there's a there's a big difference between rage and disappointment, um, frustration, frustration, or the people talk about burning desire for revenge. And a child, when they say mad, might mean any one of these mm-hmm. things, a few others. Mad, of course, could also mean crazy. Only the British. <laughs> yeah. But that's part of it, by the way, because mm-hmm. when people are angry, they're not rational. Mm-hmm. It's not just that... There's this thing about language. The whole thing of Pesach is described as language. Yes, in fact. And and this is the perfect way to wrap up and go to the next episode. The reading of what the Seder. What we do, Passover night, is called Haggadah. The telling. That's what the word Haggadah means. To tell over. And there are numerous other things that we'll talk about when we get to them that are all references are all about language. Language is, in a way, at that is what's at stake in the Haggadah. To end off, this is how we'll do the transition. The commandment that we reference is within a section of the Torah that says the following. It, we're given a commandment that all the firstborn animals need to be redeemed. This is the transition point between the end of the ten plagues and our going out. Yes. So we're told uh, the same way that you just lived through, mm-hmm. having only matzot, right? Mm-hmm. And this carbon Pesach. Mm-hmm. So you're going to do this every year. Seven days, you're going to only eat matzot. You're going to bring carbon Pesach. You're going to have this holiday. Great. And then it says, Vaya. Right? Mm-hmm. Remember, the whole point of all this is you're going to the land of Israel. Yeah. You're going to grow into this nation. So, 
Vavarta Kopeterechem Lashem, Vachopeter Shagir Behemel, Shayilachas Kharm Lashem, all the male firstborns. Again, referencing this plague of the firstborn. So not only does this extend to you, but this extends to any animals. And if they're not uh, fit for sacrifice, if they're not some of this, you know, if they're from species that mm-hmm. we're, we're not supposed to sacrifice, yep. so you have to redeem them. So we call Petachamor Tifde, so a donkey, which is not fit for sacrifice, you redeem. It's amazing that we talk about that in terms of redemption. Yes. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Man, who also can't be sacrificed, <laughs> you redeem. Vaya. Oh, your parents had to do that for you. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. They they purchased me off a priest. And so, Vaya ki shacha bin chamachar. Now it will be when your son will ask you tomorrow. Lemor saying, Mazot, what is this? Mm-hmm. So it's very nice. You know, we have this farm. We're mm-hmm. living in our own little homestead, and it's great. And now you're going to take this sheep. And make this whole ceremony and saying, this is in place of this donkey, which we have, and we're mm-hmm. going to bring it. Like, what are you doing? V'amarte, love. So you will tell him, b'chuzik yad. With, with a strong hand, hotzianu Hashem Mitzrayim, God took us out of Egypt, mibet avadim, from slavery. Vayi ki iksha paro l'shalchenu, when paro didn't want to let us go. Vayarog Hashem kol b'chor Mitzrayim, he killed off all the firstborns of Egypt, mibechor adam v'ad b'chor behema. Every firstborn of any species died. Al Cain, therefore, Anizovech Lashem Kopeterechem Azharim, we in turn commemorate this with every single firstborn that we have. And I did this with you, or your brother, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. This is so important that we include it in Tfilin. Those of you that don't know, the phylacteries that Jews wear. Have parchments inside them, and there are four different sections of the Torah which is in there, and this is one of them. This Mm -hmm. commandment to redeem the firstborns. So this, your son asks you. So your son says, "What? What is this?" And and you tell him, "This is where the. This is one of the references to this commandment to tell over to your children the story of Pesach." That this is so fundamental that it must be told over. You must tell him. The telling is a positive obligation. Yes. And this comes up in other places uh, as well. This is just one. This one is where he asks. Some of the others are commandments to tell him even when he doesn't. So we started off this episode talking about how the remembering of our exodus from Egypt is incorporated into many different mitzvot, many different commandments. And you brought out just now how it's a part of the redemption of the firstborn. And tefillin. And tefillin also. Oh, that's beautiful, right. And and the aspect of Haggadah, of telling, is defined just a few verses before in the previous paragraph. It's talking about the holiday of Pesach itself. Right. So the... Mitzvah into which this is incorporated now is exactly the mitzvah you were where you would expect it to be incorporated, the commemoration of the day of our going out of Egypt. So you set things up every year to bring this out for your children. You have this whole set of rituals, whole set of observances, this story that you're going to oh oh you're going to give over a story together with that? Yes. Vigata to Levinacha. You must tell you your must children. tell your children whether they ask or not. Bayom hahu, leimor ba'avor zeh, for this, asa Adonai li b'tzei thimi mitzrayim. God took me out of Egypt. That's why we're doing this. That's what this is about. And the telling is part and parcel of the holiday. It's all in the giving it over in words. And it's that commandment right there. Vehigadeta, where, where yeah which gives us the name of what we do on the night of Pesach, Haggadah. And so, our next episode, we will go into the Haggadah, a reading and uh, exploration of the text and actual words. Hey, can I give you one footnote on the word Haggadah? Sure. So Rebbe said one time that Haggadah is the language of neged, of against, or corresponding to, that 
the telling that we're talking about is dafka, corresponding to wherever the kid is coming from. So thank you for joining us on this initial exploration of Pesach. Uh, we want to invite you to join our Facebook page and the discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Holy Madness the Show and we pop right up. Of course, you can get us on our website or on iTunes or through podcast apps. And now we have a Patreon page. So if you'd like to patronize us. Patronize us. <laughs> if you would like to become our patron and help support what we're doing. Check it out over there. It's uh, patreon.com slash holymadness. One last item before we send everybody off here. We're looking at our stats uh, for the podcast, and we know who many of our listeners are, especially people in New York and Virginia and uh, one in Texas, two in Canada. We, we have a sense of 20, 30, 40 of, of our listeners. We have a good connection. And yet we see there are people all over the states in places we, we have no idea who you are. Would you would you please get in touch with us and we would love to yourself. yeah introduce yourself please. We'd, we'd uh, love to hear your feedback. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to hear feedback if you're enjoying what you hear. What about it are the things that you enjoy? How can we make this better? What are topics you would like to see covered? Can't promise we'll get to them, but it'll give us a better sense of what we all share. Facebook is a great way to be in touch with us, but also if you aren't on Facebook or just don't like it, email is also good. We're at holy madness the show, all one word, at gmail.com. Holy madness the show at gmail.com. We look forward to your letters. Come in the water. There ain't nobody else here. Feel it still when the planes are coming I just want to lie here Left our homes, left our friends Left the wounds we live in Spread out along the road 